bastante, ¿eh, Mami? Ya, yeah, Sí. They don't want to come because they want to run. Okay. It's just too cold for them. That was out already. So okay. Today's class we're going to talk about what is the most difficult thing for God to do? Hmm, did you know that things are difficult for God? Well, today we're going to talk about what's the most difficult thing for God to do. So there was once this uh, husband and wife getting along, jolly, getting together, <clears throat> celebrating their 50th anniversary, and they start reminiscing back to the time when they got married. And when they got married, they always promised each other no secrets between the two of them, an open book. But the wife said there's a, however one secret that she's got to keep, which is that the day she got married, she had a little box she kept in her room, and she told the husband, promise to me you'll never open up that box. It was tough, but he, wasn't, he stood by his promise and did not open the box. Years passed, it comes to the 50th wedding anniversary, the husband finally musters up the strength and he says, come on, my dear wife, tell me what's in the box. And so he says, you know what? She says, well, today I'll show you what's in the box. They go to the box, they open up the box, and she sees that in the box there's two sweaters and an envelope. She says, what are these two sweaters all about? Just give me a moment. Sorry about that. So what's the two sweaters all about? Why two sweaters and an envelope? So he says, you know what? When I got married, my grandmother told me it's a little a good piece of advice. That whenever you get into a little, uh, um, you know, riffraff, whenever you're upset at your husband, instead of getting angry and blowing it all up, go into the corner, sew a sweater, knit a sweater, calm yourself down and everything will work out. The husband looks and says, wow, I'm doing good. After all these years, 50 years, and all you got was two sweaters, that means I only upset you twice? We're doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. She says, no, 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 look inside the envelope. That's $20,000 of all the sweaters I already sold. There you so, there you go. When we look at uh, marriage, what do we call it? I don't know if you ever noticed. Marriage is called the institution of marriage. Nobody wants to go into institution. You say an institution of marriage. People want to live together, happily ever after, and so on and so forth. But if we look today in the world, we notice that, unfortunately, the rate of divorce is almost probably over 60%. That means from every marriage that happens, there's one that gets divorced. That means any two people you see married, one of them is divorced. Well, so there's so many divorces that happen. Why is it what's going on over here? How do we cross this divide? How do we make it happen? And the way we're going to explain and understand what's happening is by understanding and looking into this week's Torah reading and a very uh, questionable or wondrous quote of the Talmud. And the Talmud says as follows. One of the most difficult things for God to do is to make marriages, to put matches together. And the Talmud says that the most difficult thing for God to do is either to make marriages 
to give a person his sustenance that he needs and to crossing of the Red Sea. That means there are three things that the Talmud uses and says that are very difficult for God. Number one, crossing of the sea, putting couples together, and giving a person his parnasa, his sustenance that he needs to survive. And the question over here is, out of everything that happens in this world, God is the infinite, the greatest of everything of all creations, created all beings, gives us life, created the universe. And what's the most difficult thing for him to do? To put two people together. To find some sustenance for an individual. What's the problem? Why is it so difficult? So let's go a little bit back to what this week's Torah reading tells us. Last week we finished off that it was in the 15th of Nisan, the Jewish people in literal broad daylight left Egypt. Three million people running with pieces of dough on their back, running out of Egypt, running towards the Holy Land of Israel. And as they're going towards the land of Israel, all of a sudden they come after 200 years of bitter enslavement and they realize, oh no, we have the sea in front of us. We have the idol of Baal on the side of us. We have the tower of the guards watching us on another side of us. And lo and behold, what's coming behind us? They hear the footsteps of our Pharaoh's horses coming right behind them. And they start praying to God. God, what happened? I thought we got out of Egypt. What happened here? And the Talmud tells us that there were four groups of people who decided to come up with different opinions of what they're going to do. One said, let's pray to God. One said, let's wage war against the Egyptians. One says, let's just give up. We tried getting out. We can't. Let's just go back to Egypt. And the other people said, suicide. Let's jump into the sea. So what's going on here? So now over here we see God stuck with a predicament, so to speak. He takes the Jewish people out. And he doesn't know what to do. Or the people don't know what to do as they're standing in front of the sea. Another thing that we find that's very difficult, as we mentioned, is to be able to put together, the Talmud describes, what does it mean? What's so difficult for God to put two people together? And in fact, there was a woman, she was a queen in Babylonia, who once asked Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalafta, who was a Talmudic scholar at the time, and asked him, why does it say that it's so difficult for you, God, to be able to put people together? What's so difficult? So Rabbi Yossi Bechalafta said, you know what? You think it's not difficult? I give you a challenge. You have a bunch of maidservants, and you have a bunch of servants. Tomorrow, send home all your thousand servants with a thousand maidservants and see how that works out. That means take these thousand men, take these thousand women, put them together, send them home, tell they got to get married. All of a sudden, she did that. The next day, they come back. They're battered and bruised and fighting. What's going on? What's the big deal? She said, you're right. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And she understood that it's to put together a husband, a man and a woman together is as difficult as crossing of the Red Sea. But what's so difficult for God? Isn't God the creator of the universe? He's able to bring light into the world. He's able to make people alive, kill people, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, putting two people together, that's already too difficult. Why is that the most difficult thing? Why is that, any, why is that any more difficult than bringing monitor from three million Jews in the desert or creating the universe in six days? Not only that, there are, I'm not the only one that asks this question, but there are many commentators in the Talmud that ask this exact same question. What's the comparison of crossing the Red Sea to putting a couple together? What do the two have to do? In fact, it's the opposite. 
Putting a couple together is taking two opposites and bringing them together. Crossing the sea is taking something that's together and splitting it. So what is the comparison that we say that the splitting of the sea or that the marriage of couples is as difficult as the splitting of the sea? It seems like that the verse in the Talmudic explanations are very intrigued by juxtaposing these two ideas. Beyond that, the question gets even more than that. What is the entire concept of putting a couple together? It already says in the Talmud that 30 days before a person's born and it's announces from heaven, so-and-so is going to marry to so-and-so. And I'm sure you all heard the word in Yiddish, it's called bashert, mm-hmm. that every person has their person that they're destined to that they're going to marry. So if the question is only that you only have to develop a relationship, it's not like you have to find a person from scratch because this person already was destined, they're going to marry them. What's the big deal to develop that relationship? Why does God is not making anything new? It's already destined to these people are going to have to marry. So what's the big deal of getting them together? The Medrash gives an interesting example to be able to personify and show and that if you're destined to marry somebody, you're going to do it with that. There's no way of getting out of it. And he says, King Solomon, the, the smartest of all people, saw that his daughter is going to have to marry some poor old fellow. And he didn't want his daughter to marry that guy. So what did he do? He took that poor guy and sent them off in a far-out village, locked them up in a tower, that his daughter should never find him, never meet him, and nothing will happen. So, what happens is, this poor guy is down there in this tower, locked up all by himself, he's looking for something to eat, he's starving out of starvation, and he sees that there's this uh, corpse of an animal. He's, he's, he's hungry, he's tired, and he's cold, and he sees the corpse of the animal, so he climbs and he goes to eat some of this animal. But while he's eating from it, he fell asleep on it. Meanwhile, a hawk from above sees a dead corpse and sees prey, so sees what to eat. So the hawk picks up the corpse with the guy on it and schleps it to eat it. And what does the corpse do? And what does the hawk do? It flies with it. And it drops it on the roof of the palace of King oh Solomon. <laughs> Meanwhile, King Solomon's daughter is sitting and sunbathing up on the sunbathing. roof. It, on, up on the roof of the, it was very common actually, you also find that Sheba was looking to do with sunbathing on the roof of her father's palace. And she sees, look what's going on over here. <laughs> Somebody was dropped right on my rooftop. She sees this young man. Goes, he was an old man. No, he was a poor man, but he oh. sees a young man. And she goes to be able to give him food and clothing. He sees he's unprivileged. And finally she sees, he sees a nice looking guy. And she tells her, her father, King Solomon, I found a guy that I'm interested in. King Solomon says, see, that's the guy. She has no way out of it. And see, so when something, when God says something is destined to happen to a certain person, that's what's going to happen. There's no way of getting out of it. So the Talmud asks, so which one is it? Is it destined to we marry? Or do we, does God have to work really difficult to we marry? And the Talmud explains and says it's two different parts. One is in your first marriage, and one is in your second marriage. In your first marriage... It's destined that comes up from heaven who you're supposed to marry your Bashert. And the second marriage, being that it didn't work out the first time, so now it's so difficult for you to find a match the second time around, and that's as difficult as the crossing of the sea. But the question still remains. Number one, 
is the story that I said before with Rabbi Yosef Halachta, where he told the queen, go put these two together. It was not their second marriage, it was their first marriage. And number two, the question still is, what is so difficult for God? Why is it difficult for God? If God can create the heaven and the earth, and he can do everything else, why all of a sudden, when it comes to marriages, is he having a problem? So, there's an interesting, um, unbelievable idea that a fellow by the name of the Rebbe of Peshischa, his name was Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Peshischa, he was the son of by a fellow by the name of the Yida Kodesh, who was considered the teacher of Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kosk. A very famed, this is students of the Magad of Mizrich, who then opened up their own dynasty, eventually became into the Ruminov and whatever maybe. And he looks at it as follows. And he says, if you look at these two episodes, the difficulties that happened with the crossing of the Red Sea, the difficulty of marriage, and the difficulty of making a living, all have one common denominator. And what is it? That people have to be able to embrace the unexpected. People have to be able to recognize and see something that they've never imagined, never thought of, and all of a sudden, this they have to take a whole new way. Let's take, for example, the crossing of the Red Sea. What was the crossing of the Red Sea, the complicated part of it? Not one Jew, when they left Egypt, imagined that that would be their challenge. They all believed God took us out of Egypt. We finally did our 200 years of, of slavery. Let's go. Let's move further. Did anybody think that they're going to have a surprise all of a sudden? Uh-oh, there's a sea in the way. What are we going to do now? They thought we're free. Let's move on. Not only that, the very fact that we look and we start seeing the four different opinions that were there. What were these four opinions really saying? These four opinions were, so to speak, when they said, let's jump into the sea. They said, one second. We're just going to give it all we got. Better that we commit suicide than go back to Egypt. Let's try. The second group who said, let's go back to Egypt, they were the exact opposite. We're not going to commit suicide, but we have no choice. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, they put up the white flag. We tried, we tried escaping, there was no problem. The third group who said, let's wage war, they were people who said, we're, gonna, we're out, we're free, let's fight for our freedom until our last step or drop of blood. And then you had the God-fearing Jews, the Jews who said, you know what, let's pray to God, let's see what happens. But what does God respond to all of them? What does God say? He doesn't say, address, and you may say, how does God address every single one of them? And God says as follows, here are the words of the Torah. Daber el Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, vi so, and they should travel. And they should travel. Travel, move on. What is God telling them? What is God saying over here is, don't look in your regular toolbox to try to solve the situation. It's not about suicide, it's not about wishing war, it's not about praying to God, it's not about going back to Egypt. That's right. You have to think out of the box. God told you you're going to make it to Mount Sinai. You go. Ah, there's a sea in the way. You never thought. Okay, so there's a sea in the way. You have to do what you have to do. You got to do that you have to do. It is not because you pray that you're going to get to Mount Sinai. It's not because you waged war that you're going to get to Mount Sinai. And it is not because you think that you have the power to be able to fight against the, uh, 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 Pharaoh. 
The only way you're going to get to Sinai is by following what God says. By knowing and recognizing that the only reason why you're here today out of Egypt is because God brought you to this place. So what do I need to do? Rule number one, when it came to the crossing of the sea, was to drop everything I thought of beforehand and all of a sudden embrace a new reality. Have absolute faith in God that this is going to work out. Who in their right mind would have ever imagined that the sea would have split? Nobody. Nobody. It wasn't even on the agenda, wasn't it? Maybe take boats and go across. But to be able to know and jump into the sea that it's going to split, God said, you travel, you do it. The same idea, exact thing happens when a person finds a match. When a person's going to look for somebody in their life that they want to live with, every single person has a fantasy of who's going to be their match, who's going to be their husband, who's going to be their wife. Smart, handsome, beautiful, kind, uh, every, all the whole list of retinue what you're going to have there. But as most of you know, that that image of what a person usually has, of the person that they're looking for, has not yet been created. They say a story, once a guy, a shatchan, a matchmaker, comes over to a fellow, a single guy, and he says, what are you looking for? Maybe I can help you find a shidduch, maybe I can help you find your match. So he says, I'm looking for a smart, handsome, beautiful, kind-hearted individual. So he says, on that list I find six different people. I use that for six different people, not one person has all those qualities. You always know you got to give up something for something else. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, we have to recognize that we know that when a person, and why do sometimes people get stubborn in who they're meeting, is because they're not, not looking for what they need, they're looking for what they want. And many times what we need is very different from what we want. And at times what we need to be able to go beyond ourselves and not look what we want, we have to look what we need. And because of that, it becomes as if you're fighting all night and seeing what's going on. And this is what we also have. The concept is that love is not something that you find. Not like in, it looks like in the movies and in the novels. Love is something that you create. Something that is continuously worked on as the couple is, enters into their marriage and continues for their life as they move on in life. And they give attention to one another and continue to cultivate one another. That is where love happens. And that is the way to approach a marriage. Again, of leaving all the things that you believe that you had it all worked out, who you're going to find, when you're going to find it, when it's going to happen, and jump into it. The same idea is also when it comes to making a living. Sometimes it is from the places that we never imagined of the most, where that's where you make the most of your money. You think you have it all worked out, I went to school, I have a master's in business, I have a whole business plan on how it's going to work out, and therefore if somebody comes and offers me a thing that which is not according to my plan, I'm going to deny it, I'm not going to look at it because it's not, who am I, I'm a Harvard graduate, how can I do such a thing? And that's why what happens to such people, they get stuck in the rut. Who are the people that are successful, that take every opportunity that comes to their hand and utilize it, look at it, analyze it, and say, maybe this is the place where my blessing is going to come. It's a blessing from God, everything that we have. And therefore, you never know where that blessing is going to come from. The same idea, so we see over here, this exact type of idea, that we have to know and learn how to pivot. You know, that's the key word. Especially in today's businesses, and we see it most, especially after the corona, 
people who had real estate, stocks, and all of a sudden everything came crashing down. Who were the ones that were successful, who were able to take their businesses and learn how to pivot their business to be able to make it to something different that they weren't used to? If they were going to say, well, I don't know how to do this, I never did it before, what's going to happen? They won't have anything. So if we look back at the way God responded to the Jews as they were standing by the Red Sea, what did God tell each one of them? If we look at the verse, God tells each one of them and He says, what is the words in the verse? The verse says, God tells the Jewish people right before they sing the song and right before they cross the Red Sea, stand put and see the salvation of God. And the way you see them today, you will never see them again. God will wage war for you. And you should be quiet. God was addressing every single one of these groups. So the group that said, want to return to Egypt, God said, Stand put where you are. The group that wanted to pray, God said, Keep quiet. The group that wanted to wage war, God responded, God's going to wage war for you. The group that wanted to return to Egypt, what did God say? The way you see Egypt today, you won't see them again. Every single one of them got answered. So what then should you do? Tell the Jewish people, think out of the box. Travel beyond yourself. None of them ever thought that this is what's going to happen, that the splitting of the sea is going to happen to them. The says the same ideas in our life when we have when it comes to getting married or when it comes to finding a parnasa, finding a sustenance. It is from the wackiest of all places. It's from the places that we never imagined that God sends us our, our salvation. Our salvation, whether it's finding sustenance or our salvation, whether it's finding a match. It is not what you ever imagined that's going to come from. It's not necessarily two plus two is going to equal four. It's going to come from someplace out of the ordinary and therefore the Torah juxtaposes the concepts of splitting of the sea and finding a match, of splitting of the sea and finding a match and finding sustenance all in the same type of arena. This is what we find, that if you look when the crossing of the Red Sea happened, all started by one person jumping into the sea, saying, if God says we have to travel forward, this is what I'm going to do. As we know, the Nachshon, the son of Aminadav, that God told Moshe, put your hand over the sea and it will split. But only after Nachshon jumped into the sea, and he said, if God says we got to travel, this is what we got to do. And we traveled, and he jumped into the sea. The morale of Prague explains, and it says, what is the concept of the sea? What happened? The sea that generally flows split and became dry land. It went the opposite of its nature. The same thing is also an individual in his life. You people, by nature, are selfish. That's the way we grew up. The moment the kid's born, wakes up his parents when he wants, when they want to be able to eat and drink. And maturity means that we learn to be more selfless than selfish. When a person has to get married, all of a sudden they have to start sharing their life with other people, their life, their emotions, their feelings. They have to be able to become one. And in order to become one, you have to give up of yourself. It's the opposite, seemingly, of what they were trained, of what they are as a human being. Exactly what happened by the crossing of the Red Sea. To be able to see somebody from their vantage point, not from your vantage point, 
That's what a marriage is about. That's exactly what the crossing of the Red Sea is. The same thing is also happens when you're in a business. You want to be able to be successful. You always think about, where can I, what am I good at? It's not what am I good at. It's what can I do to bring the blessing of God into my life. And sometimes it's not always what works best for you. It's what works right for you. And each person says, you know what, I want to find love. I want to find my person, my basharat and everything else. But they have to look like this and they have to be like that. That's not called. Cool. It has to be according to your conditions. That's not called cool true love. You want to stay the person you are and you want them to love you. But you don't want to be flexible enough or pivot to be able to love that person. And that's where all the problems begin. So when we talk about the concepts over here is each one of the Jewish people. And over here we learn a very important lesson of looking at these four dimensions of each one of these people that were standing by the crossing of the Red Sea. Every single one of them had wonderful ideas. Wage war against Egypt. Go back to Egypt. Jump into the sea. Whatever it may be. But they weren't right. They were all incorrect. Why were they incorrect? Because that's not what God said. What does this mean? Every single person can have many different wonderful ideas. Every person can have ideas and compliments and rationales and all different types of things. And the bottom line is we have to ask ourselves the question, is this what God wants? Am I doing this because this is what my evil inclination is desiring me to do and that's where it's coming from? Or is it because this is the first thing that I've given the opportunity to do? Where is it coming from? What's that energy coming from? Many times we find that people say, you know what, I'm wiped out. I don't have the energy to do this anymore. This is not for me. I tried it. It didn't work out. And you know who had that first complaint? Adam. When Adam first stumbled with the sin of the tree of knowledge, he said, you know what, God, you got me. The evil inclination consumed me. I don't have that energy anymore. I'm done. But what did God tell him? No, this is now your job. You've got to go into the world, work with the evil inclination, transform the world and take it over. Just because we stumbled, just because we didn't get it right, doesn't mean that we're lost and forgotten. And this is the concept of the appreciation and of understanding. That this relationship that we have, and this is what God's telling every single one of us when we compare the two, the crossing of the Red Sea and marriage, and finding a living are all interrelated because it tells us about our relationship with God. Our relationship with God has to come from a selfless devotion to God. Not necessarily by the ways we understand, not necessarily by ways we're accustomed and used to. A person can say, well, I'm, that's not my style of Judaism, that's not what I'm used to doing, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know how to do it, whatever it may be. That's exactly where your relationship is. By what you're not comfortable doing, by what you're not used to doing, that's where the relationship comes. The Altarebus is a beautiful story, explains a part of the Talmud based on this idea. The Talmud tells us an interesting story during the time of the destruction, after the destruction of the Second Temple. When the Romans governed the land of Israel and Babylonia, they made a terrible decree that Jews were not allowed to study Torah. You know, what they did, they closed all the shuls and everything else that they didn't allow Jews to study Torah. There was a great scholar by the name of Rebchanina ben Tradian. Rebchanina ben Tradian, he was one of the ten scholars who were killed 
by the Romans. You know, the ten scholars that were killed in a very cruel way. His daughter, actually, or Hanina ben Tragin's daughter, was Bruria, the famous Bruria, who was the wife of Rabbi Meir, who was the one that gave him advice and counsel and so on and so forth. So Hanina ben Tragin once went to visit his rabbi, his teacher, Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, who was very ill. And Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma tells Rabbi Hanina ben Tragin, I hear news about you that you're transgressing what the Romans said and you're studying Torah. And Rechanina ben Shadim turns to his teacher and says, what should I do? I have no way else to survive. This is my survival, the study of Torah. This is who I am. I need to study the Torah. And then Rechanina ben Shadim was, uh, tells us, asks his teacher how he's doing. And he says, even though that it may be life risking for me to study Torah, but this is what I got to do. But then he asks his teacher an unbelievable question. He asks his teacher, how do I know that I will merit the world to come? How do I know I'm going to merit the world to come? So his teacher of Yesen and Kisma tells him, tell me something good you did, and I will tell you if you merited the world to come. Tell me a good action you did. And Reb Hanin bin Travi thinks a moment, and he says, I'll tell you what I did. I am, a, I am in charge of the charity, collecting the charity from the different people in town. And one time on Purim, while I was collecting the charity, I had two wallets in my pocket. One wallet, the charity wallet, and wallet, one wallet, my private wallet. And somebody gave me money, and I wasn't sure which wallet did I put it in. Did I put it into the charity wallet, or did I put it into my private wallet? And because I wasn't sure, I took all the money from my private wallet and I gave it to the charity wallet. I emptied out all my money and put it into the charity. Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma looks at him and says, that's your ticket to Yanadin, that's your ticket to heaven. Now the question that Rabbi asks over here, you have a person, Rabbi Hanini ben Tarajin, who risked his life to study Torah, his whole life was saturated with the study of Torah. And his teacher asks him, tell me a good deed you did, that you should merit the world to come. It's not enough he's studying Torah? That's not going to get him the world to come? No. You have to tell him a good deed. And what kind of good deed? That once he found a random episode that he was able to do that. Why that episode? Why was that his ticket? And he explains the Altarebbe very simply. Because studying Torah was his natural state of being. He didn't do anything extra to study Torah. As he said himself, his life was the study of Torah. That didn't exert any more issue for him. Some people love to study Torah. He loved to study Torah. It wasn't a challenge for him to study Torah. It wasn't a question of him crossing the sea to study Torah. It was just typically who he was. And therefore, that wasn't his ticket to heaven. But when it came to the charity, that he had to, now he was a poor man, and he had to take charity that he didn't have, and give it to charity because he was concerned which, where that charity went. Now he went beyond himself, he broke himself, he changed himself, he crossed the sea. That was his ticket to heaven. This is what the Talmud telling us, and this is what the story of this week's Torah is telling us. The Jewish people's relationship with God came they were only able to receive the Torah after they crossed the sea. Because by crossing the sea, they said, our absolute dependency is in God. We just travel because that's what God said for us to do. We follow instructions. 
God says move, you move. Ah, there's a sea in front of you? Doesn't matter. My whole hope, my whole desire, my whole interest, my whole connection to God is because I follow what God told me to. Not because I understand it. It even goes even further. Because sometimes when we think we got it all worked out, that's when we fail. <laughs> but when we give our dependency on God, when we recognize that God is directing us and travels with us in everything we do, then even the greatest sea split before us into 12 different canals and we have a perfectly dry land and we have what to give thanks and song to God. That's it.